Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 125 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. I am here with Tyler Leadman of Impossible Coffee. That was a really professional sounding intro, man. That was cool. I've said it several times on this podcast, but my buddy Kai is a professional musician. I texted him, said, I am thinking of an intro for this podcast I'm going to start doing. Here's the idea I had. And then five minutes later, he sent me that final audio. It was like something like this. I was like, no, exactly that. I'm going to be using that. Very cool. I'm into it. So... We have known each other for quite some time at this point, uh, all the way back to really, I think, your true stone days is when we first met. Yeah. Yeah, we've been around. We've both been around for a long time, but, um, you know, just kind of in that sort of uh, Minneapolis coffee scene where you, you sort of rotate around each other and you, <laughs> you do the, like, nod, you know, at the thing. Well, it's funny you say the nod. Uh, I, I came up with a recent discovery, and I think this is something that a, a lot of dudes know that... The nod I learned recently, if you don't know someone and you're walking down the street, you give them a down nod. If you do know them, you give them an up nod. Mm-hmm. I recently made a discovery while delivering on Friday that it doesn't mean you have necessarily know them, but if you share similar tasks or if it's clear that you're doing a similar thing, it becomes an up nod situation. Because I was delivering coffee, there was someone else delivering, and they gave me an up nod. And so I added that to the list of nods and how this whole thing works. No one ever teaches us these things, but it is something that we all know for some reason. I've been trying to perfect my like side nod, like sort of like, I know you, but I want to show you something cool. Ooh, the nonverbal. Come check this and then out there's over the, here. There's the one to the right, and then I've been trying to figure out what like the one to the left indicates. Now, that's not why I have you here today. <laughs> I have you here today to talk about Impossible Coffee, but we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of your coffee story. But before we do that, just explain. So you started a brand new business, and it's really in the early stages still, and the timing was really fortunate for Folly that you happen to be starting this business at the, exact time, at the exact same time as us needing the exact services you offer. So t- tell me about kind of how you explain to people what Impossible Coffee is, and then we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of your coffee story. Wow, that's exciting. Um, well, I think Impossible Coffee is uh – it, it sits inside inside of this uh, special n- niche that doesn't, in my experience, didn't really exist, you know. So I'd worked at True Stone um, in many capacities for a very long time, True Stone Coffee Roasters in St. Paul. And I worked with a lot of coffee shops, and I realized that one thing that a lot of places were struggling with, even at the roaster level, at the coffee shop level, whatever, is having some sort of a quality assurance program or just a way to make sure that your coffee tastes good and your equipment works and your baristas are trained that was coming from a source of, you know, expertise or someone who had the time to pay attention to it. Because a lot of times those those finer details that, that people put in their coffee programs that really make them stand out are afterthoughts or the thing that comes, you know, once you've done all of your other business stuff like accounting and hiring and just everything else about running a business and you run out of time to make sure that the coffee which is ostensibly the thing that you're there for is is doing what it needs to be doing so it seemed like a need that was unfilled and I had been kind of in a in a burnout phase in a rut you know just based on a lot of the things that were going on in the world at the time um and so I thought, why don't I back away and think about what I really like to do and what this industry really needs? And that's the uh, the long answer to the short answer of why Impossible Coffee exists. And the timing of it with Folly was just perfect because Folly's still on paper. It's me and Jeff. And as we're picking up these new cafe restaurant customers, we're realizing, oh, we're the ones that have to get them set up. Uh, we, you know, Working with uh, equipment suppliers is great because they can do the install. They can do all these things. But... You know, you're kind of lacking on the, do we trust uh, the tech that's got all the equipment knowledge? Do we kind of trust them to have the knowledge to be able to dial in our coffees and our espresso? And so ultimately, the way we had it set up is they do the install and then Jeff and I would go in and dial in. And, you know, we've got some experience doing this and we can get the coffee tasting great, but it takes us a long time. And it's usually at the end of our workday and it's usually like 
something that takes us way longer than we would hope it would. And we realize that over time, the quality assurance piece is going to be missing. It's just we don't have the capabilities or the capacity to be able to constantly be checking in, to be servicing the equipment because we moved into the equipment game last year. We purchased out our distributor of all the equipment and we now own the equipment at our customers. So the timing could not have been better. We'll get more into that later. But let's now go back and I'll just say it, build your credibility as to why the second you said you were doing this, I was like, in, let's talk, let's make this work. Because knowing what I knew about you, I was like, this is exactly what we need. Somebody with the expertise, the passion, the knowledge, the palate to be able to do all these things that we needed as a business. So what was your first experience with You're coffee? You're buttering me up, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just a guy who likes doing a thing. But um, I mean, so I, I grew up around here in the Twin Cities and uh, went off to college and got my undergraduate degree and all that, you know, all that hoo-ha nonsense. And I, I came back to the cities as a as an educated adult trying to figure out what I wanted to do in the world. And my sort of stopgap uh, just way to make money in the meantime was I got a job at a coffee shop, you know, just as a barista, kind of that. That's sort of romantic. Ooh, wouldn't it be cool to be the guy that works at the coffee shop and is a writer on the side and, you know, sort of builds his career there. And the more I started working with coffee and interacting with the people that were kind of in that world, you know, all the way from the customers to the coworkers to um, to the people I was buying coffee from, roasting coffee from, and just the whole world, it, it became really fascinating to me. And I, I started to realize how big this coffee world was that you know the people that you purchase your cup of coffee from at uh, at a cafe are are sort of the tip of the iceberg of that whole industry um and so i worked as a barista for a while and eventually decided that i just kind of wanted to be a coffee person so i i started my first cafe in 2011 um and that was called dewey's cafe it was in uh it was in a library in the south suburbs so I had my experience as a business owner, um, and that's how I got introduced to the brand Truestone Coffee, which is is a roaster that's in St. Paul, just across the river here. Um, and I sold their coffee for a while, ran the cafe for a bit, and eventually sold the business, kind of floated around for a little while, and then Truestone got in touch with me and asked if I wanted to to join on, and this was probably you know 2014 or 2013 or something like that. So, you know, the years start to add up as you... Uh, as as you uh, gain experience, and when they, when they initially hired you, you said you were kind of running Dewey's. Uh, you were doing some sales for Truestone. Is that the capacity they brought you in on? Is to do sales for them, or was it a more expansive role than that? No, they brought me in to put the coffee in the bags. I was uh, I was the packager, production assistant. You know, just the most entry level position you could possibly imagine at Truestone, which was you know was fine for me. I was still you know twenty five, twenty six years old. Um, and still kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so it was a great, um, it was a great decent wage job to just kind of pass the time and make a little money. Um, but again, I found that same thing. And, you know, where I started becoming more and more interested with what was going on in the industry and, you know, s- started sneaking into a few cuppings or going to the, some of their visits at the importers or things like that. And eventually... <laughs> I like to joke that I just kind of waited everybody out at Truestone and ended up just taking on all their jobs once they left. Uh, but I think really what it was was I was allowed the freedom and autonomy to kind of explore new worlds as long as it you know brought things back to sales or you know increased the the brand awareness or you know made us just generally uh, more uh, better at what we were doing. Um, and so I was at Truestone for about eight years and ended up getting into, you know, the, the training and the quality assurance aspect of it, but also the green buying and the roasting. And, you know, eventually it was kind of like uh, the number two guy there at Truestone underneath the owner and sort of running the direction of the company, um, which was amazing, you know. And then we, um, we really started building a great brand and really growing our influence and eventually opened the uh, Truestone Cafe in downtown St. Paul. And this was on, let me think, um, January 24th of 2020. Right. Mm-hmm. So A really great time to you open can, You can kind of see where the story's going, right? Um, and so we were open for about six weeks, and then 
pandemic, you know, lands on the world. We close down for a few months. The entire staff of the cafe and the roastery is laid off and, you know, myself included. So just Bruce, the owner, just kind of doing his thing for a few months. Um, eventually, we reopened, uh, but, you know, and I don't know how into this uh, story you want me to get, but, you know, we reopened and with a very small staff, and I ended up taking on a ton of responsibilities there, you know, doing the roasting, doing the sales, running the cafe, and, you know, I think just like a lot of people around that time, I got burnt out to the point where I sort of had to step back and reevaluate what what I valued in coffee, you know, and I was able to to pull from all the things that I did at True Stone, which was, you know, traveling around the country and around the world and really getting heavily, deeply involved in in what's going on in the coffee industry and developing my palate in such a way that uh, that I felt like I could, you know, translate that to to an entire world and, and be that sort of impartial taster for a bunch of different people. So that's one of my favorite parts about Impossible Coffee is that I'm not tied down to a specific company's style of roasting or flavor. And so I can kind of taste the rainbow and get to experience a bunch of different things and also, you know, be an impartial, uh, an impartial judge of what somebody's doing and, and try to work individually with these people to help their, you know, their coffee programs and their customers' coffee programs really, you know, be the best they can be. When you have this idea that I want to start my own business, I'm always fascinated by the initial steps because especially in coffee, it seems like everybody you've met that works in coffee has an idea or a business idea or like someday I'm going to start this. And I'm always fascinated by the first steps because they're often simple, but it's what puts everything in motion. So I'm curious in your mind, what was the first like real step from this is an idea, this is something I'm thinking about doing, I have this knowledge now, this experience in the industry to this is now a real business that I'm starting. Right. Yeah. The, the way I described it, it made it sound like it was just a very seamless transition when really it was, you know, I, I put in my resignation at True Stone and spent a few weeks trying to, you know, get everything together for them to be able to carry on without me. Um, and, you know, I spoke with a few of my friends in the industry, uh, Joe Morocco being one of the, one of the, the people that I was talking to has been kind of a mentor to me over the years. Um, and he ended up connecting me with a roastery in in uh, Idaho called Doma Coffee Roasters. And we were talking for a while, trying to decide if there was a job for me there. I didn't really feel like moving, you know, that far across the country. I just bought a house, just got married, that whole thing. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And they said, well, why don't you come down and, and do a training session for us? Um, you're an you're a specialty coffee association certified trainer, so you can get us our certificates and, you know, we'll just kind of hang out at the roastery for a week and figure that out, uh, which was great, you know. So they flew me out. We did a big roasting or we did a big barista training session and um, and we did like a whole five day kind of regimented certification schedule. And at the end of it, I was just like, this was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And I... Uh, I organized it myself and I put it all together and hell if I didn't pull it off, you know, for the most part. And so that was the little spark that told me maybe there's something there. Maybe this is something that that a lot of people need. And and it wasn't just what I was frustrated by when I was working at Truestone, but it was a frustration that tons of roasters all over the country have is we don't have somebody who is like an expert to come in with, you know, the clout of a certification behind them or with just the experience to be able to to come in from a level of expertise and help an entire staff, you know, get better at what they do. Sort of find find the spots in there where somebody needs help and fill those spots. Yeah, and the, the reason it made a ton of sense to me and why I was like really excited when you told me about it. Cause sometimes someone's like, Hey, I'm thinking about starting this business or I am starting this business. And it's like, Oh, like, I wonder if this is going to be enough work or if this is going to mm -hmm. be something that's sustainable or ongoing. But when you explain it to me, I was kind of looking at our situation and being like, we at Folly have of course needs for this. But I was kind of thinking about your business and being like, 
But there, that has to be the case for so many small to mid-sized roasters, shops, whatever it may be. Because when I look at kind of our business and I look at where I'd like to go with Folly and what are potential things in the future that we might lack that other larger roasters with more resources have. And one of the key things is always like customer education, equipment maintenance, and just quality assurance. Because it's like you said, a lot of people, a lot of businesses, the quality of the coffee is an afterthought. But here's the thing. If you have customers serving your coffee, this is going to be the first time most people are ever trying your coffee. If it is diluted, if it is too strong, if the grind size is wrong, and that's the first cup of folly somebody ever has, they go, I, I just, I saw, I had the coffee at so-and-so. I don't see the big deal. I'm never going to go buy a bag. Right. I'm not going to tell There's my friends about it. There's your big logo on the wall that says <laughs> yeah. proudly serving folly coffee and yeah. it just tastes like junk. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, oh, but you can't, obviously you can't be there to explain them. Actually, no, it's just the this brew. We, we dialed it in. Come back and try it again. They're going to be like, no, next time I'm here, I'm not going to get a cup of coffee. And to the, the service that you have to like small to mid-sized businesses is it's not a, like either it's a lack of resources for small to mid-sized businesses or it's just not enough work to hire somebody full-time. And so you run into this issue where you're like, okay, we don't have the resources to hire somebody for this. And even if we did, it's not enough work to keep somebody Monday through Friday having enough work that it's it's a worthwhile spend and the ROI is there. And then you, you approached us and we're like, you know, here's something I'm doing. Do you have a need for this? And it was at the exact time that I was like, this is the exact need we have. And I got really excited about the business because I love businesses where you notice a blank space in the market. And with the way specialty coffee is headed, there's going to be more and more small to mid-sized roasters. I always compare it to craft beer. It's like, I think that with the popularity of any category, local brands become more popular, but as more brands pop up, you're going to run into more competition. And I don't know if you'll see another Intelligentsia, another Stumptown, uh, you know, Onyx now kind of on the, the the final wave of this, of like a huge national brand like you're seeing here, but you're going to see it broken up much more like regionally and locally. And I think you're going to find a lot of companies that are looking for this. So that's where I got really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, I think there's this small business mentality that people have where they're like, well, I'm going to just do everything myself. I'm going to work to my complete and full capacity. And why would I pay somebody guilty? You know, why would I reach outside for something I could do internally? You know, and so one, there's the issue of burnout. But two, there's also like maybe it's better if you have an impartial person coming in to to taste your coffee and or just, you know, look at your equipment setup or your your wholesale program and have some sort of impartial opinion about it. Because it can be really easy to get locked into the bias of like, this is how I roast the coffee and this is what it tastes like, you know. So I'm coming in from a not only a part of uh, a uh, place of impartiality, but also having been around so long and currently working with a bunch of other people to have a better sense of, you know, what's going on and what trends you need to keep up with and what, you know, people are excited about now. And the impartial nature of your business, it's like, so let's say we hired somebody to do what you're doing. There is a weird pressure of being an employee that's like, obviously, if you've got a good business and you've got it set up in a way that communication is clear. So hopefully this wouldn't be the case if we hired somebody like this. But in some companies, it's like, bringing up bad news can be kind of like, oh, I'm the one bringing this bad news. Don't shoot the messenger. But also you wouldn't know about this if it wasn't for me. So now I'm the bearer of bad news, which quite frankly, if you're doing equipment maintenance, it's going to be a lot of not great news. There's not a lot of time you go in to check on a machine that's been running for a year and been like, great news. It's better than ever before. Mm -hmm. It's always like, here's the four or five parts that need replacement. It's good. But here's the things that we should be doing and moving forward. But also, if you're talking about equipment you own, it's an investment. And so you should be doing these things. And the last part I was going to say, I think with the increased quality of coffee, and you know, we work with a supplier that does a great job on the equipment side, on the installations, all that good stuff. But like I said, is there a person in there that has worked as a barista, has 
been involved in green purchasing, in roasting, in dialing an espresso, having experience with a variety of different origins that I can explain the flavor profile we're going to. And by the way, they work at a distributor on the tech side of things. That doesn't really exist. Yeah, it checks a lot of boxes. I'm kind of I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's something that everybody needs and uh you know, the challenge now is like how do you how do you get the word out to people? Yeah. You know, cuz I can work with people at all levels too. It's not just like a roaster like you guys, but you know, I have people that I work with that are just independent coffee shops that have me come in, you know, on a regular basis and whatever coffee they're purchasing, I'm just there to um you know, I'm there to help it out. So really, you know, the the growth potential of the idea is is infinite. It's just getting the word out to the right people. It's the marketing side of it that gets adds. Hear that siren? Yeah, it, it, <laughs> is, it is what it is. Uh, apparently, there was a bear loose in St. Louis Park yesterday. Maybe it has to do with oh, that. Oh, for real? <laughs> yeah. I was like, cool. Bears is something I have to add to my list of mm-hmm. uh, something to keep in the back of my mind. But kind of, kind of the final point to it is like, that's the difficulty of starting the business is I was reading this, or I should say listening to this book recently that I found really interesting. It was called the E myth and the E stands for entrepreneur. And almost every small business that that gets started, uh, gets started by someone who's a great technician. And this means that they have the great technical skills that they go, Hey, I'm really good at this. I'm going to start my own business doing this. But there's kind of the three different parts that make up a great business owner uh, is that there's the, the technician side, which almost everybody's great at, but they kind of did a deep dive into small businesses. And then they determined that there was the manager side. So can you manage the business? All that like fun, sexy stuff you're talking about with like accounting and all that good stuff. And then the entrepreneur side, which is, you know, it's kind of gained a, a cliched label, but really the idea of an entrepreneur is like coming up with creative solutions. And this includes Mm -hmm. marketing. And the upside of the coffee industry is that word of mouth is pretty great. The downside is that with the coffee industry, if somebody figures out something they like, they're like, let's not spread the word too much because we like having access to these resources. So I'm curious, as you started, obviously we were a customer because we knew each other. Do you have a plan in place as to how you're going to like get the word out or how you're going to kind of continue to market yourself to find new companies and find new shops to be able to work with and educate and do everything that might be needed for like equipment or cleaning programs or anything like that? Yeah, well, I've been really lucky thus far that almost every, you know, new opportunity I've had as Impossible Coffee came from some kind of a word of mouth thing, you know? Maybe I sent an email out randomly, but the jobs that I've been able to get and the clients I've been able to gather were just because I was known as, you know, the guy from Truestone or, you know, I was known hopefully now as like the guy from Impossible Coffee that, you know, helped Folly out or helped, uh, you know, any of the other people that I work with out. Um, and so it's it's funny you bring that up about, you know, other small businesses that need to learn how to outsource and, and figure out what they want to do. I think that eventually I have to, like, find that line where it's – because right now Impossible Coffee is just me, you know. It's, um, it's me going and doing all the service calls and planning all the trainings and all of the, you know, whatever little social media or marketing stuff that we have um, – so I guess the uh, I guess the answer to your question is is kind of deciding when I get to that point where I can expand the team and have somebody that handles marketing and have somebody some associate trainers or some associate techs or something like that. So that's you know that's the growth model as it stands, um, or it just becomes like a fun you know passion project where I just have a handful of curated clients and those are the people that take up all my time and I make sure they do a great job. Because there's also that thing of like, you know, you don't want to grow so much as a business. And this probably applies to everybody. You don't want to grow so much where, you know, you you have such a wide net that you're kind of doing a mediocre job at like a a thousand things. I'd rather be the company that's doing an amazing job at like four things. That's a really good insight because I think a lot of people when they start a business, they go, the faster I grow, the better. And you go in a weird way, that will ultimately be the end of your business. If you grow faster than your ability to provide the original great service product that you came up with, if you can't maintain that quality to keep up with the growth, then all the customers you have, guess what that word of mouth is going to grow into? It's going to go from 
great, doing a great job, like as advertised, everything's great to the word of mouth of like, I wouldn't hire that person probably grows faster than unfortunately positive word of mouth. Well, I bet you and I mean, you and Jeff must struggle with that too, is like, you've been just the two of you and like maybe a couple adjunct people for a very long time. So yeah, and we, I mean, we, we made a very similar decision going into this year. Uh, we had customers that expanded on their own and you were a big part of being able to take that on. But even with that help, we realized that it's like, hey, let's spend a full year not with growth as the priority. Mm-hmm. And that's a weird decision to make when you're like, there are potential opportunities to pursue, but let's not. And let's spend a full year. We've got Tyler now at Impossible Coffee doing all of our QA doing all of our maintenance, working with our customers to keep everything. Let's do that for a year and make sure that works. And the good news is it is. <laughs> it's, it's been a pleasure, by the way. I, a, I, I'm a big fan of what you guys have done. Um, I always thought that your like, super minimal kind of roast catalog of just three or four different things was such a cool, interesting way to do it and so much more accessible than, than a lot of coffee companies. You know, with the products they put out, it's like just – you know, for pe- for industry people, they know what it means, but just the stuff that ends up on the bag can be so indecipherable to the uh, to the general consumer. Yeah, but it's that that constant balance that of growth versus product or service. Sure, yeah, and that's kind of the realization we had late last year, as everything is like really coming back, opening back up, customers expanding, you know, new retail locations. That I realized thankfully ahead of time that I was like, Oh, if we continue at this pace, the, the growth is going to outpace our abilities. And so working with you was one of the first major decisions of like, what would be probably the biggest difficulty we face? And that was maintenance, uh, quality assurance, education. And I was like, okay. And you're thinking about hiring and you're like, we're not quite there from a resources standpoint. That doesn't make, and so meeting you and I started like looking at educational resources and some distributors are like, we do this. And then you reach out there like, we don't anymore. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think COVID shut it down for a lot of people, even if they were. And if they were, it was like, yeah, if you are our existing customer or it's this or that. And so that was one of the decisions. And I think that's a good place to be. And that's the problem you want to face is having to think about growth versus your service. What has been the biggest challenge or maybe not even challenge, but like biggest unexpected thing to come up as you started the business? Is there an assumption you had going in that has kind of flipped on its head or has there been any unexpected challenge or anything like that from starting a business to like actually being in it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's always a big difference between the like theoretical, like God dream you have about what your business is going to be. And then what is the practical way of running it? And what are your, what are your sustainable, let's call them revenue streams. Right. Um, and so when I started it, like I said before, with that story about going to Idaho and doing that great training, you know, that was the dream. Like I want to book people for like five day, multi-day, like super immersive, let's let's get as deep into coffee as you can on like a practical and theoretical level, um, which is awesome. And I still do those and they're wonderful. But, you know, what you come to realize over time is if you're working with a lot of these smaller and medium sized businesses, you know, maybe they don't have the resources to invest in sending five people to a, a boot camp for five days. And that's okay. So you have to find a way to serve those customers who still want to be better. So what has really become important for me in the last, like, I would say six months is is getting a better understanding of the the equipment and the tech side of things, so, which is something I was always able to do, you know, relatively well. But understanding that, you know, servicing equipment and the, like, two-hour, at least we're going to show your staff the proper way to, like, clean an espresso machine, if nothing else – even though that's not the like really cool, sexy, fun, immersive stuff, that is the thing that at least keeps a lot of these businesses from sinking below a quality standpoint mm. that you don't even want them to be serving the coffee. So, so it's, it's, that's been the biggest surprise to me, not surprise necessarily, but that's been the biggest shift in perspective I've had is, you know, I'm not only serving the people that have a week to give away and, and do the deep dive, but I'm also trying to help the people out in underserved places who just 
you know, don't have any idea what they're doing or maybe don't know that they don't have any idea what they're doing. Yeah, it's, and it's, so it's, you can come in in a simple way and help them out, too. It's, it's the game of telephone. When you talk about, like, the original staff, they've been trained, they have the good cleaning procedures, ser- serving procedures, milk steaming, good techniques for all the drinks, and then there's a little bit of staff rotation, and maybe the person with the most coffee knowledge is at a different location or has moved on, and then the person telling everyone else how to do it learn from that person. So now you're learning from someone who learned from someone else. And then all of a sudden you realize after a year, if that happens three or four times, all of a sudden the cleaning procedures are kind of the third, fourth game of telephone of like, this is how we do it here. It's hilarious to me. Like one of the things that I love to do is, is I'll, you know, kind of be doing a training and showing some people some basic stuff and, and I'll get to a point where someone will go, Oh, well we do it like this. And my favorite thing to do is go, okay, why do you do it like that? Yeah. You know? And then I start to, we start to kind of trace this game of telephone. And usually it's like, well, somebody told me that. And then, then we kind of back up and go, well, practically and like just physically and, and whatever aspects of coffee it involves, like, why is that the thing that you do? And could there be a better way to do it? And where did we get this knowledge from? Coffee is one of the industries, especially barista life, where there's a lot of just folk knowledge floating around and telephone and and this is how I was trained in and I never really thought about it any deeper than the person who was making two dollars more an hour than me told me that's how you're supposed to do it and and what are you going to do in that position if you don't have the knowledge be like are you sure you'd be like no Mm -hmm. this is just how it's done this is how I was taught and that's that's where the QA piece comes in that you know even recently we had a thing where it's like hey you know we're set up here now but noticed a couple things, a couple cleaning procedures that need to be done better if, mm-hmm. if for, so that over time it doesn't hurt the machine so that it doesn't become like built up because espresso machines, you see the pictures, you hear the horror stories of like, when was the last time you guys ran this through the system? And they're like, what do you mean? Just clean your machines, people. It's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the number one thing you can do to, to improve your whatever you're doing like overnight. Just clean your machine. And most of the time, it's just, I didn't know. I didn't know that we need to take off the screen and, and scrub totally. that. That's a really common one because that's, it's not, that's not an intuitive thing to know that, you know, once a week or so or what, however often you recommend that you should be removing that screen and deep cleaning that. And that is an area that just builds up very quickly when you're talking about espresso getting pushed up against that and pressurized water getting pushed on top of that. And then it sneaks up and you're literally getting like pucks formed on top. And then it's like, why doesn't this taste the same or pour the same as it did when we got this thing a year ago? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I would say if there's any baristas out there listening right now, just go and look up, unscrew that little screw up in your group head and look underneath the dispersion screen. Or uh, unscrew the little tip on the end of your steam wand and look at all the buildup in there. Because a lot of places you would be amazed at the little things that, that just have gone forgotten. Yeah, and it's, it's the things that visually you can see. Those are intuitive. You can be like, okay, if the tip of this wand is dirty, we need to fix that. But what about the inside? What about as over time if you're not using the kafiza to clean up the inside of it? That or No, not kafiza for the milk. Oh, they call it Rinza. Rinza. That's the one I was thinking of. That The blue stuff. The, the Plug for Ernex. <laughs> and so the Rinza, it's like if you're not using that to get the inside of the wand, that like, it's like you, you said, you get that sweet smell. And you're like, it's not like you're going to lean your nose up under the wand mm-hmm. and give it a smell every night if it's not something you're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the that's what we were just talking about is like there's the really sexy, cool stuff at the at the upper levels like tasting that beautiful Gesha coffee that that smells like a bouquet of flowers and tastes like orange juice. And then there's all the way down to just the basic practical stuff. And you need to start there before you can, you know, really, you need to have a basic understanding of that fundamental stuff before you can really feel comfortable up there at the top level too. And that's part of the difficulty is why we all probably got into coffee. If you're really excited about the high end of coffee, you got into it because you had that cup. You had that cup of coffee or you got a bag of beans and you try them like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. I want to know. And they're like, it's like cool roast curves had the the meme go like semi-viral about it's like 
two figures and it was one like me tasting the first cup of coffee that tastes like blueberries and then it was the small child and it's like me ruining my career and pursuing a life in coffee and i'm like but that's how it is it's like that's that's what gets you excited and maybe if you're like me you'll end up forever chasing that impossible (laughs) cup of coffee yeah exactly but it's not you don't look at a barista behind it's like you said when you got that first barista job it's like a sexy cool looking job but you go, most of it is cleaning. Most of it are the kind of boring things that if you go to a place that has a great cup, they're doing all these really boring things. And it's all the procedural stuff that makes a shop really great. And then it's the knowledge on top of that to be able to dial in, to be able to do those things that a lot of shops, it's tough to find baristas that have expansive knowledge on how to do that. And that's kind of where like this QA piece is difficult is you've got differing opinions and strategies and techniques for dialing in for batch brew for little quick fix hits if, if if this isn't quite right I, oh i've got this little trick i do and then you go in and you're like why are you doing that oh it's i've been doing this for years it's just how we do things here mm-hmm. yeah and you know i think we also have to remind ourselves as much as we're caring and passionate about this what we do as specialty coffee roasters is a pretty niche world you know even inside of the cafe like 80% of the drinks that get made, they're mostly milk and sugar. And the the coffee aspect inside of it, you know, even if you were like tried so hard and just got the grind perfect and got the water perfect and just made everything amazing, you know, most of the time that drink is going out and being sold to someone who's not necessarily paying attention to um paying attention to the the you know, the extraction percentage and and the delicate, you know, whatever notes are on top of there. Um, that that's not to say we shouldn't try to do a good job, yeah. but I think realizing that what we do is a is a very small part of a much larger world. Yeah, and it's even, even with lattes, it's like really your hope is if someone's getting a latte or cappuccino, even if they're adding sugar to it, it's like a base great espresso, a properly steamed milk is going to put it above the standard Absolutely. latte that they're used to. And I think sometimes as specialty roasters or specialty shops. We feel this impulsive need to explain to you why. It's like you won't fully appreciate this unless mm-hmm. I tell you where the coffee came from, how it was roasted, how we dialed. But most people, you just want them to come back to that shop because they know it has a really killer latte. Don't necessarily, most people won't stop and ask, why does it taste like this? How did you get it to taste like that? But that's growing, maybe at a slow pace. But I think the curiosity behind coffee, especially I think COVID had an effect of more people at home realizing how hard it is to make great coffee at home. I think the curiosity is increasing. But again, if you miss that opportunity by if there's a layer of coffee behind your espresso uh, screen, if you've got a wand that is not properly cleaned, it's all these things are going to affect that end cup that people are getting. Yeah, well, one thing I tell people too is, you know, even if the customer who is who's drinking the final beverage that you serve them, even if they don't know all the nuanced details about what you did to get there, there is still a subconscious understanding that they have that's that whatever they're consuming is good, whether they realize it at the top of their head or not, you know, your work does carry through. um, Even though the person drinking it may not consciously notice, but it'll be translated by that person coming back. Yeah. And or um, or spreading the word or whatever that is. People's intuitive ability to taste what's good, I think on the coffee side, we're like, they don't even know what they're drinking. It's like, but they know if it tastes good or not. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a coffee taster inside them. You just got to learn how to access it. Now, I will say most people do not have the ability to describe why. You'll ask 10 people outside of the coffee world, what are you tasting with this? And you're going to get 10 different responses. But before you do that, you go, do you like it? Good. I've said that. I've said this before on here that if you ask someone, do you like this cup of coffee? And they go, yes, very much. You go, good. And that should be the end of the conversation unless they ask because so many times someone gets it and you want to over explain. And then they're like, well, that guy, that guy was weird or that guy was pretentious. And it makes you be like, I'm just here for a great cup of coffee. Yeah. Well, and, and people think there's, there's, uh, there's so much, you know, so much more specialty stuff that you need to know beyond it. And in a sense there is, but at the end of the day, like what are we trying to do, but make something that tastes good. And I, th- I think it's your awareness of that, that lends to what I think will be the success of your business because 
within specialty coffee, like I referenced earlier, everybody's got a business idea and it's usually focused on that side of it, the high end. We're, we're going to do this and it's we're going to appeal to this very specific type of person or business type. And it's important to realize that not everybody's like that. And also it's having a balance of knowing that like, you know, sometimes uh, there's going to be a coffee that I go, you know, here's like a dark roast we have and here's the flavor profile we're looking for. If you were like, oh, I, I only like geishas and I told you to dial in like a really tasty dark roast, you might be like, I don't like this coffee. I can't believe I'm doing this. But the, your approach is like, I'm going to make this coffee taste the absolute best it can. And I think that's a very important thing to have is kind of no, like get excited about the high-end coffees and have that passion, but also realize that there are certain customers that having that coffee would actually probably not be good for their customers. And that's such an important balance to keep and that awareness that what's going to attract someone from a Starbucks of the world, the Dunkins of the world? Is it going to be a geisha if someone's used to drinking a really dark roasted French roast? loaded up with cream and sugar. That's their coffee habit. They get a really light roasted, I don't like high acidity, whatever. They add their usual cream and sugar and they go, this is so weak. And if you don't have the opportunity to describe why that might be the case, there are certain cases where you want a really rich cup of coffee that's got enough roast on it so that it holds up to most people's coffee drinking rituals, but hopefully with good enough flavor that they realize, oh, I don't need as much sugar. I'm tasting more sugar than I normally do because the intense bitterness of this French roast is not at constant battle with the amount of sugar and cream needed to be able to drink it. Yeah, that's something that I had. I've had to fight against that impulse for years. You know, I, I didn't come to this like sort of egalitarian coffee conclusion like overnight. It was It was many years of just being upset that people didn't didn't appreciate, you know, the, the, the nuanced notes of the beautiful, like, bright floral coffees that I was drinking and saying, well, I don't like coffees that taste sour. And I, you know, it, I railed against it for so long. It's not the- sour. You don't understand <laughs> how beautiful this cup is. Yeah, and then I realized, you know, I'm not here to tell people that they don't like what they like or, or try to push people away from whatever preferences they've come to naturally. Um you know, I mean, and even inside the nuanced tasting world, like if you're a, if you're a long term coffee taster, it doesn't mean that what I think makes a cup of coffee good and, and complex and fun and harmonious is the same thing that you will, because we've come from completely different flavor experiences or different coffee communities or, you know, just different things that we like to eat when we were kids, you know. And so for me to come in and say that that the way that the way that I experience coffee and enjoy it is the way that you should too is, is not really fair. Yeah. But also I think as coffee professionals, we all know which coffee is to give someone that it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. You drink this (laughs) here. Try it. You know, it's literally that mean that it's like, this is a natural Ethiopian Yerga chef. Try this and let me know what you think. And they're like, what the hell? It tastes like blueberries. You weren't even joking. And you're like, okay, we've got the first foot in the door. But there are certain types of coffees that are kind of cool to be able to open up that world. Now, we'll end the episode on, I've got just two questions, and I'm putting you right on the spot here. And it's going to be about what are the most common mistakes you see baristas make? First, on the cleaning side, because this is something we've talked about at length on this episode. What is the number one mistake you see, and this could be from your entire time as a barista, your time at Truestone, your time at, with Impossible Coffee, what's like the number one recommendation you see across the board of probably the, the most common mistake you see people making from a cleaning procedural side? Uh, well, we talked about the dropping the dispersion screens and the gunk that gets under there. And, you know, I think most people, I would say a majority of coffee shops have an understanding of that now, but the one that I think is still lagging behind is keeping your grinder clean. Mm. Um, so that that not only includes like purging your grinder when you're like changing a grind setting or changing a new, new coffee or even just like coming, approaching your grinder overnight as it's had coffee sitting in it, but also like on a weekly basis, taking that hopper off of there and, you know, taking a vacuum or a brush and cleaning the burrs or running some sort of a cleaner like grinds through. Uh, grinders are, I always tell people, they are the most important tool in your coffee shop, and they're also one of the most neglected. 
So there, I had an answer in the can for it. That's you. a great no, and that's it's not intuitive. That's it's a great example of something that's totally not intuitive. You're like, why do I have to clean this? It doesn't touch any liquid. It's uh, I mean, people know that you have to replace burrs over time as they get less sharp and they get dull. But yeah, you don't instantly think of like how often or how are we cleaning our grinder? Now on the service side, coffee service. This could be espresso. It could be batch brew. Whatever relate. It could be milk. What are the biggest mistakes, maybe not even mistake, but like you said, folklore that exists in coffee on the service of coffee or the preparation that you see? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, it's it, it's related to what we just talked about, but it's it, it comes from, I think, assuming that the way you like to do things is the way that everybody likes to do things. And maybe just or the way that you learn how to do things is the right thing. So the, you know, the, the bigger, broader answer I would give you for that is the, is the being so confident in what you're doing that you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Um, and just, you know, relying on that folk knowledge and not thinking critically about the basic steps just because it was what you were told. So the, <laughs> I guess the way to answer your question is the biggest service problem you have is other baristas. Now, let me piggyback off that, and this will be my true last question here, because this one is always been interesting, you know, from my time as a barista and even just educating our customers about their coffee menu, cappuccinos. Someone's like, I like a nice old school cappuccino, nice dry, tons of air, tons of bubbles, basically like the milk is mostly air. Versus the SEA definition where you go, there's actually very little difference between the latte and the cappuccino, the layer of milk foam and the size are really the two biggest differences. If you kind of look at the SEA version, how do you handle it as a coffee educator when you run into a customer that's like, we like the old school dry cappuccino with like tons of air, super stretched milk versus Knowing that you probably prefer, I, I'm assuming here you probably prefer that like classic SCA style cappuccino. I'm so over this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the number one thing that every time when I'm doing a training and we get to milk, we we have the cappuccino debate. Um, and I've kind of come to the conclusion that like, who cares? <laughs> you know. So like, what I tell people is 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 when the big coffee brands of the world came across like your Caribou's and your Starbucks and Duns and whatever, you know, they kind of took a bunch of different words from a bunch of different cultures: cappuccino, cafe au lait, latte, flat white, cortado, you know, whatever you want to call it, and they they kind of like stratified these in a way that like all of them are supposed to be very different, have very specific preparation steps. When at the end of the day, they all basically mean the same thing, which is steamed milk and coffee. So the way that I approach it from a training perspective is I say, here's the best way to make your espresso. Here's the best practice for steaming your milk in a way that makes it creamy and sweet and good texture and all that stuff. You know, what you do beyond that is up to you. Just as long as you're doing it in a way that's like intentional. So if, yeah. if you have if you have thought really hard and long about it and you say, this is how I want my cappuccino to be. And it's, you know, a little bit more towards that kind of 90s style, big foamy, you know, that's that's the way that you've decided to do it. And I have no say one way or the other. I'll tell you what the best way to steam the milk is and I'll tell you how to best prepare the coffee. Smart. Um, but beyond that, you kind of have to develop your own brand and do it in a way that's intentional and not necessarily based on what you saw somebody else do. So almost like here is the best way to steam milk and here's why, because you get the proper caramelization of the sugars in the milk for the best sweetness, the best texture. And then if they're like, we want to do a really big foamy cappuccino, you could be like, well, here's how to do that if you want. And then it's up to you. Yeah. Well, and the demonstration is a really is a really powerful tool too is is I can steam a milk I can steam milk in a way that like you would say has the microfoam texture and is is sort of the textbook definition and then I can steam it the super foamy 90s way that's got a bunch of waves and cloudy looking and stuff and if we taste them together it's pretty obvious mm. which one tastes better so you know the power of the demonstration matched with like the zen sort of attitude like just do it the way that you want to I think generally leads people in a direction that produces good results. And that provides people with a good tool. It provides baristas or servers a great tool if someone's like, 
Because the worry is they order a cappuccino and then you serve them, you know, what I consider to be a proper cappuccino. And they're like, this is not a cappuccino. It doesn't have a thick layer of foam. To at least say, this is how we prepare it because we did a side by side and figured out it tastes better this way. And also the customer service side of it too, like, oh, did you want that? Because I can go prepare it the way that you like. You know, I'm not here to like make you feel bad for wanting something a certain way. But from the customer standpoint, I would I would advise to, you know, me walking into a coffee shop and assuming that they do it the same way that that a Starbucks or whatever would do it. That's kind of a weird presumption, too. Like I wouldn't walk into a fancy restaurant and be like, give me a Big Mac. Better be exactly how, you know, that's a great way to handle it. And. I think that's also a great place to end. Uh, Plug your social, plug your website. We'll put them in the show notes here, and we can go ahead and finish on that note. Awesome. Yeah, I'm. so it's uh, impossible-coffee.com, and uh, the Instagram handle is at coffeeimpossible, and I, like I've said, I'm super open to working with people all the way across the industry. I have a lot of experience, and I really like, meeting people where they're at and figuring out how to help them. So Yeah, and then the last thing I'll, I'll say, because I should have included this earlier, is one thing also you do really well is, you probably learned this about me quickly, is like I've got the best intentions with the scheduling and the time and the interaction is you like would follow up on everything. And we just got to a point that I was like, hey, you do it. Send, send me what your plan to do is, and then I can just say yes or no. And it has saved me so much time with customers to know that you're like actively thinking about the next visit as opposed to me having to be like, hey, oh, shoot, when was the last time they got service? Oh, what was the last service? And you're just like, here it is. Yes or no. Here you go. Here's the invoice. Done, done, done. And yeah. So tell th- me what you're bad at and we'll figure out how to make it better. <laughs> yeah. you know? And that's, I mean, I was like, I'm clearly not doing a good job at this. So why don't, if you're open to it, can you do this? And you're like, hell yeah. And I was like, that's awesome. So shout out. I'm excited to continue working with you. I think it's a great business idea and with already word of mouth and then figuring out how to like crack the code. And I wish I knew more about this, but cracking the code on like, how do we get people to figure out about it? Yeah, man. It's, it's been a pleasure so far. I'm really <laughs> excited to see what happens. Awesome. I will end it like I do every other episode and say, have a nice day.